We're going to be learning in Chidush Rabbeinu Chaim HaLevi, the first piece in Ilchus Malva Velove. This is Perakei Halacha Gimel. And in this piece, Rab Chaim is discussing a case of a non-Jew who takes a Jew's money and lends it to a second Jew with interest. Now, a Jew cannot loan another Jew money with interest. That's the prohibition of ribis. But a non-Jew is permitted to loan a Jew money with interest. So the question in that scenario is who's considered the lender, the Jew, Jew or the non-Jew, and that's a debate between the Rambam and other Rishonim, so Rab Chaim is going to explain the view of the Rambam, and as part of that, he's going to get into the issue of whether a non-Jew can be a messenger of a Jew, so that's a broader issue that he discusses in this piece, and related to that, he's going to discuss another concept in Halacha, that someone can benefit someone else using their own money, and Rab Chaim is going to argue controversially that such a transaction would not apply towards a non-Jew, which other commentators are going to disagree with. The Rambam writes, Yisrael shalava most min beribis, a Jew who borrowed money from a non-Jew with interest. So the Jew is going to repay the loan plus interest. He wanted to return the money, so he wanted to pay up the loan. But another Jew saw him in the meantime and asked, Give me the money. And I'll pay you the same amount that you were paying the non-Jew. So let's say the non-Jew loaned the Jew $100 and he was paying him $5 a month of interest. So the second Jew is offering to pay the first Jew that money and basically take over the loan. So the Rambam rules hareze ribis ktsutsa, that's totally prohibited. It's the same prohibition as if a Jew is paying another Jew regular interest. So that scenario is totally prohibited. Afilo hamido etzel hanachri. Even if both Jews go and stand in front of the non-Jew, the lender, and they make this deal, it's still prohibited. Until the non-Jew physically takes the money back from the first Jew and then gives it himself to the second Jew. So only then would this arrangement be permitted because then the second Jew is borrowing directly from the non-Jew. But if the non-Jew does not handle the money physically, even though the two Jews make this arrangement in front of the non-Jew, so it's understood that he's agreeing to it, it's still a full prohibition of ribis. It's like the second Jew is paying interest to the first Jew. Now, in the next halacha, the Rambam talks about the reverse case. If a non-Jew borrowed money from a Jew with interest. And again, the same situation plays out. So the non-Jew was trying to pay back the loan to the Jew who's the lender. And another Jew finds him and says, give me the money and I'll pay you the interest. So this time, the second Jew is going to be paying the non-Jew who borrowed the money, the interest each month, and he'll give it to the Jew. So that is allowed because it's going through the non-Jew. So it's not a prohibition of ribis. It's not like the second Jew is paying the first Jew directly. If the non-Jew and the second Jew make this arrangement in front of the first Jew, the lender, so here, even though the Jew does not handle the money, 
the non-Jew directly gives the money to the second Jew, but it's understood that the lender, the first Jew, is agreeing to this arrangement. So now that's full ribis and it's totally prohibited and the second Jew cannot take the money with ribis. So in the second case where the Jew is the lender, the Rambam rules that not only where he took the money back from the non-Jew and then gave it to the second Jew is it prohibited. That's obvious because then it's certainly a case where the second Jew is paying ribis to the first Jew. But even if the first Jew never took the money physically, it came from the non-Jew to the second Jew, but it was done in the presence of the first Jew, the lender, it's still prohibited. So this goes a step further from the first case. In the first case where it was allowed, the Rambam said that if the non-Jew witnessed it, it is not allowed unless he actually handles the money in between. But in the second case where it's prohibited, the Rambam rules that not only where the Jew handled the money, but even if he just witnessed it, it was done with his agreement, it's still prohibited. Now, the Magid Mishnah quotes that the Ramban and the Rashba disagree on this extension of the Rambam. So they hold in the second case that it's only prohibited if the Jewish lender took the money in between, he took it from the non-Jew and then he himself gave it to the second Jew. But if the Jewish lender did not handle the money, so he only witnessed the non-Jew taking the money that he had given him and giving it to the second Jew, so then they agree that lechatchila, in an ideal situation, one should not do that. It's not the right thing to do because it looks wrong, but it's not absolutely prohibited because there's no shlichus a non-Jew cannot be a messenger. So this non-Jewish borrower cannot function as the messenger of the Jewish lender. So there's no actual prohibition. It is avak ribis. It's like a form of ribis. It looks like ribis. So that's why one should not do it. But it's not a full prohibition under Torah law because the Jew is not actually lending the money to the second Jew. The non-Jew is doing so. And he is not a valid messenger. So this actually action is not connected to the Jewish lender in any way. So that's the debate between the Rambam versus the Ramban and the Rashba in a case where a Jewish lender gives money to a non-Jew. And then the non-Jew passes that money along to a second Jewish borrower with interest. And the first Jew knows about the arrangement. So according to the Rambam, that's totally prohibited. According to the Ramban and the Rashba, it looks like ribis, so it shouldn't be done, but it's not actual ribis. Now, this debate, Rabbi explains it depends on reading a Gemara in Bo Metziah Dafayin Aleph. The Brisa says, Malve Yisrael Ma'osev Shal Nachri Midas HaNachri Avalo Midas Yisrael. A Jew could lend out the money of a non-Jew with the non-Jew's knowledge, but not with the Jew's knowledge. So what does this mean? Ketzad. Yisrael Shalava Mos Min HaNachri Beribis. If a Jew borrowed money from a non-Jew with ribis, Ubikesh Lachzirim Lo, Matzu Yisrael Achav Amar Lo Tnemli. And then the whole story, he tried to pay back the loan and another Jew said, pass along the money to me and I'll pay the interest. Oh, sir. So that is prohibited, as the Rambam said in the first halacha. Now, if he did this in front of the non-Jew, so then it's allowed. The other way, if a non-Jew borrows money from a Jew with ribis, and again, he tried to pay him back, and another Jew found him and said, give the money to me and I'll pay the ribis, mutar. So that is allowed. But if he did it in front of the Jew, then it's prohibited. So the Gemara asks, It makes sense in the second case where it's the Jew's money and it's prohibited. 
prohibited. So even though the non-Jew is the one actually giving the money and he's not a messenger, but we're strict and it's prohibited. But in the Reisha, in the first case where it's the non-Jew's money, so it's permitted, but the Jew is not a messenger of the non-Jew. So it's actually the Jew lending the money to the second Jew with ribis. So how could that be permitted? The Jew is literally collecting interest from another Jew. So the Gemara answers, Am Rav Huna Bar Menoach Mishmed Rav Acha Bred Rav Ika. Rav Huna, in the name of Rav Acha Bred Rav Ika, answered, so the first answer is that the non-Jewish lender told the first Jewish borrower, put the money down on the ground, and then you're exempt. You don't owe me anything more. You're out of the picture. And then the second Jew picked up the money from the ground. So that's why it's allowed, even though there's ribis, because it's not coming from the Jew to the other Jew. It's coming from the non-Jew to the second Jew. So the Gemara asks, So what is the point of this halacha? That seems obvious that in that case it's allowed. So Rav Papa proposes a second solution, which is that the case is where the non-Jew took the money in between from the first Jew and then gave them himself to the second Jewish borrower with ribis. So we would have thought that when the non-Jew takes the money in between the first Jew and the second Jew, it's like he's a messenger of the first Jew. So the non-Jew is acting on behalf of the first Jew. So again, we should be strict, even though a non-Jew can't be a messenger, but we are strict in that situation. So in Rav Papa's case, we would have thought that maybe since the non-Jew took the money and gave it to the second Jew on behalf of the first Jew, it's as if he's a messenger of the first Jew and it's prohibited. So that's what the Bryce is teaching us, that in this case, the non-Jew is acting independently. He's not giving the money to the second Jew on behalf of the first Jew. He's giving it on his own behalf. So it's like a non-Jew directly lends a Jew money with interest, which is allowed. So that's the point of that Brysa. So based on this Brysa is exactly why the Rambam makes a distinction between the first case where it's the non-Jew's money versus the second case where it's the Jew's money. In the first case, says the Rambam, it's only permitted when the non-Jew takes the money from the first Jew and gives it directly to the second Jew. So he handles the money in between. But otherwise, if the Jew gives the money directly to the other Jew, even though it's in front of the non-Jew and with his agreement, it's still prohibited because the Jew is not a messenger of the non-Jew. So it's like the first Jew is lending the second Jew money with interest, which is prohibited. So that's the reading of the first half of the Brisa, and that's how the Rambam rules. But in the second half of the Brisa, where it's the Jew's money, so there the Gemara does say that it is prohibited for the non-Jew to give the money directly to the second Jew, meaning it's certainly prohibited if the Jewish lender physically takes the money and gives it to the second Jew. But even if he doesn't physically take the money, he just agrees for the non-Jew to give it to the second Jew, it's still prohibited. But the Gemara explicitly says that that's a chumrah. That's just a stringency. That's not an actual prohibition because the non-Jew cannot be a messenger of the Jew. So it's really the non-Jew who's lending the money to the second Jew. And that's what Rashi says, that this is a stringency of the rabbis 
even though the non-Jew cannot be a messenger of the Jew, they still prohibited it. But on a Torah level, it is not prohibited because the loan is not coming from the Jew to the Jew. So if the non-Jew takes the money that he was loaned by a Jew and the Jewish lender does not handle it in between and the non-Jew gives that money to a second Jewish borrower, so on a Torah level that's allowed because it's like a non-Jew lending his money to a Jew with interest, which is allowed. Only rabbinically, the rabbis prohibited it because it looks funny. So that's why the Ramban and the Rashba say that in that case, it's not technically prohibited, which is what Rashi also says based on the Gemara's language, that it's only a chumrah, it's only a stringency. And that's what makes sense because the non-Jew cannot be a messenger of the Jew. So how would that be prohibited on a Torah level? So that's the question that the Magid Mishnah is raising against the Rambam. How can he hold that in that case, it's actually prohibited on a Torah level? It's considered full ribis when the non-Jew is not a messenger of the Jewish lender to loan it to the Jew. So where's the prohibition of the money coming from the first Jew to the second Jew with ribis? So that is the question on the Rambam. So Rab Chaim explains that the reason the Rambam holds this is prohibited is not because the non-Jew is a messenger of the Jew. It's because of a totally different reason. When the non-Jew takes the money that was loaned to him by a Jew and he loans it to the second Jew with the agreement of the Jewish lender. So now the Jewish lender transforms into an arev, a guarantor, because the Jewish lender is agreeing for the non-Jew to give the money to the second Jew. So he becomes a guarantor on this money. So he's like a borrower of the non-Jew because he's agreeing to pay back, which makes him a lender for the second Jew. That's the language of the Gemara and Bavmetziah there earlier on the page. Kivan de dine de nachri de azel basar arva, since the non-Jew can collect from the guarantor, so ihu nihu de ribisa. It's like the guarantor is collecting the ribis from the Jew. So basically, if there's a loan of a non-Jew to a Jew, but there's a Jewish guarantor, Tor, that's prohibited interest because it's like the Jewish guarantor is collecting from the Jewish lender on some level. Now, the Gemara says that it depends on whether the non-Jew could go collect the money from the Jewish guarantor. So if he would be able to collect it, so then it's like the Jewish guarantor is a lender directly of the Jewish borrower, so the interest is prohibited. But if the non-Jew would not be able to go collect the money from the Jewish guarantor, so then it's permitted. But the Gemara says that it depends on whether the non-Jew would be able to collect that money even in a non-Jewish court. So it's not a question of whether he could collect that money under halacha. The question is whether a non-Jewish court would enforce the non-Jew being able to collect the money from the Jewish guarantor. Says Rab Chaim, if we apply that all back into this case, so here the non-Jew would be able to collect the money from the Jewish lender in a non-Jewish court under the rule of guarantor. So that makes this Jewish lender now a guarantor for the rules of ribis under halacha because since a non-Jewish court would force him to forgive the loan or pay the money, whatever it is, 
to the non-Jew, so he's considered one of the lenders to the second Jew, so that makes it prohibited to collect interest under halacha. So that's why the Rambam is concerned that there's an issue, even midoraisa of ribis in this case, even though the non-Jew is not a messenger of the Jewish lender, but the issue is different, that the Jewish lender gets transformed into the guarantor of the non-Jew. So it's a strange process, even though this original Jewish lender owns all the money that's being dealt with, so it's his money that the non-Jew is giving to the second Jew, but now he's also considered a guarantor on that transaction, so now it becomes prohibited, even midoraisa, for the second Jew to pay ribis. And then Rab Chaim adds that there's even a further component to this, because in this case, the Jewish lender is not just a regular guarantor, which means that if the borrower can't pay back the money, so then the guarantor as a second resort will cover it. But in this case, the Jewish lender is actually more than that. It's an Arev Kablan, which is a stronger form of guarantor, where the guarantor essentially agrees to pay back even if the borrower doesn't bail on the repayment. So even though the borrower could pay, but this guarantor is a stronger form of guarantor that he agrees to be a first resort for repayment. So in this case where the Jewish lender watched and agreed for the non-Jew to loan his money to the second Jew, he's not the weaker form of guarantor. He's the stronger form where he's agreeing as a first resort to cover the cost of the repayment. So there, not only in the non-Jewish courts would they enforce that the non-Jew could collect the money from the Jewish guarantor, even under halacha, the non-Jew could collect the money. In this case, we don't need to apply the criteria that the non-Jewish courts would enforce it, so that makes a problem of ribis, because here, even under halacha, the non-Jew could collect from the Jew, so there's certainly a problem of ribis in this arrangement, because now the Jewish guarantor is like he's directly lending the second Jew, even though he didn't handle the money, it was all done through the non-Jew, and even though the non-Jew is not a messenger of the Jewish lender, but still the Jewish lender is a full-fledged, strong guarantor, even under the rules of halacha. So it's as if he loaned the Jew the money on some level, so the ribis is prohibited. And that's what the language of the Rambam seems to indicate. Hoel umidas Yisrael nasan, since the non-Jew gave it with the Jew's understanding and agreement, hareze ribis ktsutza. So that's full Torah ribis. So that's like Rab Chaim said, that since the Jew agreed to it, so now he becomes the stronger form of Arev Kablan, that the non-Jew could collect the money from the Jewish guarantor, even as a first result. So now this is full-fledged ribis. It's like the Jew is lending the second Jew the money directly. So this is Rab Chaim's basic framework to understand this ruling in the Rambam, that he does not question the principle that a non-Jew cannot be a messenger for a Jew according to the Torah. The Rambam is saying that there's a separate problem here, which is that the Jewish lender is transformed into the guarantor. Now, what about the language of the Gemara, which was the basis for the view of Rashi, the Ramban, and the Rashba, that this is not a problem midoraisa, only midrabanan, because the Gemara calls it a chumrah, a stringency. 
So it sounds like it's not actually prohibited, it's just a stringency because it looks wrong. So how can the Rambam say that this is a Deoraisa problem? So Rab Chaim explains that based on his interpretation of the Rambam, the Rambam had a totally different reading of that phrase in the Gemara. According to the Rambam, it doesn't mean that it's a stringency. It means something totally different, which is that even though the Jewish lender is a guarantor, so on one level, the Jew is lending the second Jew the money directly. But of course, that doesn't change the fact that the non-Jew is also lending the money to the Jew. So there are two components to this transaction. On the one hand, the non-Jew loans the money to the Jew. And then the second component is that the Jewish lender, who's now a guarantor, is also considered to be loaning the money to the Jew. So there are two different components as to what's going on. So that's what the Gemara means, that we go lechumro, we follow the stringency, meaning we don't look at this transaction and say that since one element is a non-Jew lending the money to the Jew, so the whole thing is permitted. No, we focus on the other component, which is the Jew lending the money to the Jew, which is prohibited. So that's the chumra. We apply the stringency by looking at it from that perspective and not focusing on the other component. But it does not mean that it's a stringency, meaning it's a drabanan, not a deoraisi. It means that it is a deoraisa, it's prohibited under Torah law, but it's a stringency because we focus on the other component of the Jew doing the lending and not the other element that a non-Jew is doing the lending. And we apply this same form of chumrah to the first case where it's the non-Jew's money that the Jew is lending. So again, there are two components to this process. On the one hand, the Jew is lending another Jew money. On the other hand, and since the non-Jew agrees to it, so he becomes a guarantor in Arev Kablan. So the non-Jew is lending the Jew money as well. So there are two components to it. But again, we follow the stringency that even though the non-Jew would be allowed to lend the Jew money, since there's also another component that the Jew is lending the money, so it's prohibited on a Torah level. So that's why the Rambam rules that in both cases, there would be a Torah prohibition to lend the money unless the non-Jew takes his money and gives it to the Jew. That's the only way it's permissible. But anything else is a Torah prohibition. But now this raises the issue why then does the Gemara explain that in the first case where the Jew lends the non-Jew's money to another Jew that it's prohibited because of Ein Shlichus Lenachri? The way the Gemara explains that halacha is because since the Jew cannot be a messenger of the non-Jew, so he's acting independently, so it's as if he loaned the money to the Jew with interest, which is prohibited. But according to Rab Chaim, there's actually a different explanation for that halacha because there are two components to this lending. On the one hand, the Jew is lending the money. And on the other hand, the non-Jew, who's the guarantor now, is also lending the money. So we focus on the aspect that the Jew is lending the money and that's why it's prohibited. But it has nothing to do with the fact that the Jew is not a messenger of the non-Jew. Even if he would be a messenger of the non-Jew, it wouldn't change anything. So how does Rab Chaim's explanation for this first halacha fit into the Gemara's explanation, which is different? So Rab Chaim says something very clever, that if there would be shlichus lenachri, if a non-Jew could make a Jew a messenger, so that would undermine the whole guarantor aspect 
aspect of this transaction because it would mean that the non-Jew is making the Jew a messenger to loan his money to the second Jew. So the way this transaction works is that the Jew in the middle is not doing anything. He's just taking the money of the non-Jew, acting as his messenger and passing it along to the second Jew. But the non-Jew is not a guarantor on the transaction at all because since the Jew is not doing anything independently, so the non-Jew never becomes a guarantor. So there's only one component to the whole transaction. The non-Jew lends money to the Jew through the messenger of the Jew that he created. So that's why the Gemara says that the whole question hinges on whether a non-Jew could make a Jew a messenger because if he could make the Jew his messenger, then it would undermine the whole element of the non-Jew becoming a guarantor. There are no two components. There's only one transaction going on, which is that the non-Jew is lending the money to the second Jew. Jew, and the Jew in the middle is the messenger. But since the Jew in the middle is not a messenger, because the non-Jew cannot make a messenger, so now we're back to Rab Chaim's analysis that there are two components. The Jew is lending the money and the non-Jew is the guarantor. So he's also lending the money. So now there's a chumrah that we follow the stringency that since on one level, the Jew is also the lender. So it's prohibited to do it with ribis. So that's how Rab Chaim explains that line in the Gemara, and the same would be true in the second case, where the non-Jew is lending the Jews money. Again, if there would be shlichus l'nachri, so he's a messenger of the Jew, so now the Jew is not a guarantor, there's only one transaction, the Jew is lending the Jew the money through the messenger of the non-Jew. But since the non-Jew cannot be a messenger of the first Jew, so now we're back to Rab Chaim's analysis that there are two components, the non-Jew is lending the money because he can't be a messenger, and the Jewish lender is also lending the money as a guarantor, and that's why it's prohibited. So now all this can be read into the language of the Gemara. The Gemara says, Bishlam Asefa This makes sense that in the second case where it's the Jews' money, so we follow the stringency and it's prohibited. But in the Rasha, in the first case where it's the non Jews' money, Kivan De'ain Shlichus Lenachri, since the non Jew cannot appoint the Jew a messenger, Ihu Nihu De Ribisa. It's the Jew that's taking the ribis. So why is that permitted? It should be prohibited. Now, the way to read this according to Rab Chaim's interpretation is that the the Gemara is saying it makes sense in the second case of the Jew's money that since the Jew cannot make the non-Jew a messenger, so the way it works is that there are two components to this lending. There's the non-Jew's lending, and there's also the Jew who's the lender now becomes the guarantor, so he's also lending it to the Jew. So that's why it's prohibited to collect ribis because of that component of the transaction that on some level, it's like the Jewish lender is directly lending it to the second Jew so he can't collect ribis. So all that makes sense that it's prohibited. But in the first case of the non-Jew's money, says the Gemara, again, the non-Jew cannot make the Jew in the middle his messenger. So again, we have to say that there are two components. The Jew is lending the second Jew the money and the non-Jew is also lending it to him as a guarantor. So there's two elements to this process. Both the Jew and the non-Jew are lending the second Jew the money. But how could that be permitted? Because even though the non-Jew is allowed to lend the money with interest, but the Jew obviously cannot lend it with money. So how can the Brysa say that that's allowed when there is a component of the Jew lending the money to the second Jew? So that's the Gemara's question. 
So all of this fits in with Rab Chaim's interpretation of the Rambam that the word Chumrah in this Gemara does not mean that it's a Drabanan. It means that it's a Torah prohibition and the Gemara is indicating that since there are two levels to the lending, there's the Jews component and the non-Jews, so it should be prohibited because the Jew is also considered one of the lenders. So that's why the Rambam rules that when the non-Jew lends the Jew's money to a second Jew, that ribis is prohibited under Torah law because since the Jewish lender now becomes a guarantor, so that's a full Torah prohibition for him to lend the second Jew money with ribis. So this is Rab Chaim's approach to explain the Rambam. Now in the third paragraph, Rab Chaim suggests that there is an additional reason why if the non-Jew lends the Jew's money to another Jew, it should be prohibited. In addition to the fact that the Jewish lender becomes a guarantor, which is the approach Rab Chaim's been developing in the beginning of this piece, now Rab Chaim suggests that there is another reason why it's prohibited because in addition to the Jew becoming a guarantor, it's also an issue because of Eved Kenani, a non-Jewish slave. Now, what does this Jewish lender have anything to do with a non-Jewish slave? So we learn from a non-Jewish slave that even if someone else pays the money for something and this person's going to benefit, it's as if they are playing a role in the transaction. So let's say someone owns a non-Jewish slave and another person decides to redeem that non-Jewish slave. The non-Jewish slave goes free even though someone else is paying the money. So they did not pay the money for their freedom and yet they benefit and they go free through the redemption money. So that principle can be applied in other areas of halacha that even though a person doesn't lose the money, they still are considered one of the players in the transaction. So the same is true in this case. Even though the non-Jew gives the money to the second Jew as a loan with interest, so technically the non-Jew is the lender, but the person who's going to collect the money is the original Jewish lender. It's his money. So he is benefiting from the transaction of the non-Jew so just like the Eved Kanani goes free even though someone else paid the money, so too the first Jew is considered the lender in this case, even though the non-Jew is technically the one who gave the money as a loan. So just like in Eved Kenani, we can apply that same principle that the Jewish lender is the lender in this situation and the ribis is owed to him. And this is like the Gemara in Kiddushin Dav Zayin says that if a man gives a woman money and he says, here's money and you should be married to someone else. So he's affecting a marriage on someone else's behalf with his own money. So that works. Midin Evid Kenani, just like in Evid Kenani, again, for a transaction to happen, the person does not need to spend their own money. They could be the benefit of someone else's money. So too, a woman could marry a man, even though the man didn't spend the money and his friend paid the money on his behalf. So the same is true, says Rab Chaim, in this case, where the non-Jew lends the money, even though he's not a messenger of the Jew. So the issue is not that the Jew is acting through the non-Jew, but the issue is that the non-Jew is lending money, which is going to be repaid to the original Jew. So the benefit of this transaction is going to go to the original Jewish lender. So that's also prohibited to collect interest because like in Eved Kenani, the Jewish lender cannot benefit from something that a non-Jew did on his behalf. It's like he himself 
loaned with ribis, which is prohibited. So that's Rab Chaim's second formulation, why the Rambam would feel that this is prohibited midoraisa, even though the non-Jew is not acting on behalf of the Jew, but based on the principle of Eved Kenani, there's a full-fledged Torah prohibition for the non-Jew to take the Jew's money and give it to a second Jew with ribis. So that's the second formulation to explain this halacha. Now, says Rab Chaim, there is a basic distinction between these two approaches. According to the first approach, that the issue is an arev, that the Jewish lender now becomes a guarantor, so that's why it's prohibited. So that means that both the Jew and the non-Jew are considered lenders in this case. It's not that only the Jew is the lender, he's the guarantor. So he is also one of the lenders because since he's going to have to repay the non-Jew, so the second Jew paying is as if he's paying the first Jew also. So the first Jew is also one of the lenders. But it doesn't displace that the non-Jew is also a lender. They're both a lender. So that's the first approach. Whereas according to the second approach, only the Jew is now considered the lender. The non-Jew is totally out of the story. He's not a lender anymore, even though he's the one that actually gave the money to the second Jew. Because since he gave the money to the second Jew on behalf of the first Jew, it's the Jewish lender's money at the end of the day. So he's going to be getting the money back. So under this principle of Eved Kenani, the first Jew is really the only lender. The non-Jew has no role other than the one who facilitated the transaction. But at the end of the day, the only real lender is the Jewish lender. So he's the sole lender and the non-Jew is not a lender at all. So according to the first approach, the second Jew is borrowing from both the non-Jew as well as the Jewish lender. Whereas according to the second formulation, the second Jew is only borrowing from the first Jew, not from the non-Jew at all. So now this is going to raise a question on the second formulation. Because in In the second case where it's the Jew's money, so this second formulation explains it very nicely. Even though the non-Jew is the one doing the actual lending, but since he's doing it on behalf of the Jew, so the Jew is considered the real lender. So if the second Jew agrees to pay ribis, that would be prohibited under Torah law. And that's exactly how the Rambam rules. So the second formulation makes sense in the second case. But in the first case where it's the non-Jew's money and the Jew lends it on his behalf to the second Jew. So the Rambam rules that that's also a Torah prohibition of ribis. But why should that be? Since the first Jew is only acting on behalf of the non-Jew, so under the principle of Eved Kenani, it's really only the non-Jew who's the lender. The first Jew is not a lender at all. So why should it be prohibited for the second Jew to pay the ribis back to the first Jew? So this second formulation that the issue here is the principle of Evid Kenani is not going to be able to explain the first case. Why should that be a Torah prohibition when at the end of the day, there's only one lender who is a non-Jew. So why should it be prohibited for the Jew to pay ribis? So to answer this question, Rab Chaim introduces a very important conceptual understanding of the principle of Evid Kenani. Again, the principle says that someone can do something on behalf of someone else and that is effective for the transaction to take place for the other person. Says Rab Chaim, but at the end of the day, the principle of Evid Kenani requires a level of Zchia Umatana. The person has to be able to appoint a messenger in order to accomplish things for them. 
So the rule of Evid Kenani can only apply to someone who ordinarily would be able to create a messenger and therefore it does not apply to a non-Jew. So that means even though the principle of Evid Kenani is not Zechia Umatana, it's not a messenger situation. The person who acts on behalf of the Evid Kenani or the man who marries the woman off to another man, they're not messengers of the person that they're benefiting. The rule of Evid Kenani is a separate principle independent from the concept of shlichus of a messenger. So there are two different halachas. On the one hand, there's the rule of shlichus that a person can appoint the messenger. And if it's something that's going to benefit them, it could be a messenger even without their prior knowledge of it. That's one halacha. Then there's another concept, which is Evid Kenani, that a person can benefit another person without being their messenger. But even so, there is an element of zchia umatana, of acquiring something and benefiting something for someone else. So that can only apply to people who are in the general concept of shlichos, who could have someone else act on their behalf. So the whole principle of Evid Kenani, that someone can benefit another person without being their messenger, according to Rab Chaim, does not apply to a non-Jew because they're unable to make a messenger, a shliach. People cannot acquire things on their behalf. So too, they're also not included in the principle of Evid Kenani. So if the Jew lends the non-Jew's money to another Jew, even though they're doing it on behalf of the non-Jew, it does not become the non-Jews fully. We do not apply the principle of Evid Kenani. And that's why it's still prohibited in that case. Because the only formulation that we apply is that the non-Jew becomes a guarantor. That we do apply, but that doesn't displace the Jew who's acting on behalf of the non-Jew. So both the first Jew and the non-Jew are both considered lenders. So that's why it's prohibited to lend with ribis because of the Jew's component as a lender. And we're not going to apply the second formulation of Evid Kenani to say that only the non-Jew is a lender. The first Jew is out of the picture because we don't apply that when the beneficiary is a non-Jew. So that's why in the case where it's a non-Jew's money, it remains prohibited for the Jew to lend the second Jew the money, again, unless the non-Jew takes the money physically in the middle and himself hands it to the second Jew. So that explains why we do not apply the second formulation of Evid Kenani to the case of the non-Jew's money, only to the case where it's a Jew's money, then we do say that the non-Jew acts on behalf of the Jew. And under the principle of Evid Kenani, now the first Jew becomes the only lender and the non-Jew is not a lender at all. So that's why it's prohibited under Torah law to lend with ribis, even though the non-Jew is the one who physically did the lending. And again, Rab Chaim says that this whole framework can be read into the language of the Gemara. The Gemara says, Bishlam chumra. It makes sense that in the second case of the Jew's money, where it's a stringency, so there it's prohibited. But in the first case of the non-Jew's money, so since the Jew took the money and gave it to the second Second Jew, ain't shlichus He's not a messenger of the Jew. So again, the first Jew is the one that's collecting the ribis. So why should that be permitted? So that's the way the Gemara formulated the question. So says Rab Chaim, if we read this line carefully, it sounds like in the case where the Jew loaned the non-Jew's money to the second Jew, he was acting as a messenger of the non-Jew. The Gemara is saying that that doesn't work because the non-Jew can't make him a messenger. 
messenger, but it sounds like theoretically he was made a messenger to act on behalf of the non-Jew. It just doesn't work halachically. But there is no indication that the non-Jew made him a messenger. He agreed to him doing this, but he didn't make him a messenger. Says Rab Chaim, according to his explanation, it works very nicely. Because since the whole transaction is based on the Evid Kenani principle, so the Jew is acting to benefit the non-Jew, so based on the rule of Evid Kenani, that should be effective, and the non-Jew should be the beneficiary of what he's lending to the second Jew. So that's why the Gemara calls this a theoretical case of shlichus, even though the non-Jew did not actually make this Jew his messenger, but based on the principle of Evid Kenani, the Jew is acting on behalf of the non-Jew, so on some level he is his messenger. So that's why the Gemara says, since the halacha is ein shlichus l'nachri, the non-Jew cannot make the Jew a messenger, so not only is this Jew not his messenger, but we also don't apply the rule of Evid Kenani in this case. So the Jew cannot benefit the non-Jew because of the overall rule that a non-Jew cannot make a Jew a messenger. So again, this proves Rab Chaim's point that the principle of Evid Kenani is connected to the principle of Zechiah of being a messenger to acquire something on behalf of someone else. Even though they're two different halachas and they do work differently, but they are connected that since a non-Jew is excluded from having a messenger acquire things on his behalf, a Jew cannot be a messenger for a non-Jew. So the parallel to that is that the principle of Evid Kenani also does not apply from a Jew to a non-Jew. So that's what the Gemara says, that since the Jew cannot be the messenger of the non-Jew, so we also don't apply the principle of Evid Kenani, which means that we don't view this as if the non-Jew is the one lending the money to the second Jew, but rather we view it as the first Jew lending the money to the second Jew. So therefore there's a problem of ribis. So that's exactly what the Gemara is asking asking that in the ratio, why should this be allowed? If we were to apply the principle of Evid Kenani, then it would turn out that only the non-Jew is the lender. The first Jew is not playing a role at all, so it would be permitted. But since we don't apply that principle, because ein shlichus l'nachri, since the Jew cannot be his messenger, we also don't apply the principle of Evid Kenani. So that means the non-Jew does not displace the first Jewish lender. So they're both considered lenders. So it should be prohibited. And why does the Brisa say that it's allowed? And that's exactly why the Rambam rules that it is prohibited. So that's how Rab Chaim reads this line of the Gemara. And this fits in with his framework to explain the ruling of the Rambam. And this line in the Gemara reinforces Rab Chaim's conceptual idea that the principle of Evid Kenani only works for someone who's overall included in the concept of Zechiah that they could appoint a messenger. But if not, then we don't apply the principle of Evid Kenani. So according to Rab Chaim, we do not apply the concept of Evid Kenani that someone can use their own money to benefit someone else to a non-Jew. So that is Rab Chaim's overall analysis to explain the ruling of the Rambam, why he disagrees with the approach of Rashi, the Ramban, and the Rashba, which seems to be the simpler reading of the Gemara. And Rab Chaim explains that according to the Rambam, in the case where a non-Jew uses the Jew's money and lends it to another Jew, there is a Deoraisa problem, either because the first Jew becomes a guarantor, so that itself is a Deoraisa problem to lend money to another 
another Jew when there's a Jewish guarantor, or alternatively, based on the principle of Eved Kenani, since the non-Jew is acting on behalf of the first Jew, so he's benefiting him, and the first Jew is now the only lender, so that again is a Doraisa problem of Ribis. So those are Rab Chaim's two approaches to explain the Rambam. Now, the key conceptual points are, first of all, the application of these two concepts of the guarantor and the principle of Eved Kenani to this case of Ribis that the Rambam discusses. And in addition, Rab Chaim introduces this conceptual idea that the principle of Eved Kenani is related to the overall halachas of creating a messenger. So based on that, Rab Chaim concludes that the principle of Eved Kenani does not apply towards a non-Jew. And that is controversial. There are many achronim who disagree with Rab Chaim on this point. So in the Or Olam edition in the back, they quote that Rav Hutner in his marginal comments to this piece, he points out that the Machna Ephraim in Hilchushluchin and Shutfin Simon Tesvav writes that the principle of Eved Kenani does apply towards a non-Jew. And Diane Fisher in his marginal comments, as well as Rab David Pavarsky in his Shiurim on Bab Metziah Ayin Aleph Amud Beis, they point out that the Tzos in Simon Kufchav Gimel Sifkat and Hey also writes that the principle of Eved Kenani does apply towards a non-Jew, even though there's no shlichus for a non-Jew. So a non-Jew cannot appoint a messenger to acquire on their behalf, but under the principle of Eved Kenani, one can benefit a non-Jew. So the Tzos and the Machna Ephraim both disagree with Rab Chaim about this. And Rav Gifter, in his marginal comments on this piece, so he points out that the Ramban in Yevamos Memhamud Beis agrees with the Ktsos and the Machana Ephraim against Rab Chaim. Now, with regard to the basic question that Rab Chaim's dealing with in this piece, which is that the Rambam says that this is an Iser de Oraisa, whereas the Gemara calls it a Chumrah, so it sounds like a Drabanan. So the classic commentators on the Rambam also discuss this issue, the Kesef Mishnah, the Lechem Mishnah, and they give, as expected, more text. Technical answers. So the Kesef Mishnah says that maybe the Rambam held that since the Brisa says it's Usser, that both cases are prohibited, so they both are an equal level prohibition, which is a Deoraisa, even though the Gemara calls it a Chumrah. So that's the Kesef Mishnah's approach that the Rambam focused on a different language, not the Chumrah phrase. Now the Lechem Mishnah likewise says that Tosvos suggests that maybe when the second Jew takes the money, He's not a messenger of the non-Jew. He's a messenger of the first Jew. So it's like the second Jew took the money from the non-Jew as a messenger of the Jewish lender. So that would be a problem. And now there would be an Iser de Orisa of paying ribis back to the first Jew, the Jewish lender. So Tosvos raises this issue. So that's how the Lechem Mishnah explains why the Rambam feels that there's a de Orisa problem. Now, why does the Gemara call it a Chumrah? So again, Lechem Mishnah says something more technical, that the Gemara was not sure about this logic as Tosvos himself counters it. So because the Gemara was not sure about it, it calls it a stringency, but the Rambam rules that it is a Deoraisa problem of Ribis. And the Orsameach, in his comments on the Rambam, so he develops this approach of the Lechem Mishnah. Now, the Kesef Mishnah quotes another approach from the Talmide HaRashba, which is even more radical. They suggest that the Rambam does not even 
disagree with the Ramban and the Rashba. He also agrees that this is not real ribis. It's only avak ribis. And the reason the Rambam calls it ribis kitsutsa is because he means that in one regard, this halacha functions like full deoraisa ribis, which is that the borrower can get the interest money that he paid back in court. So normally that detail does not apply to avak ribis, only ribis kitsutsa, but it does apply to this halacha even though it's actually avak ribis. So according to this approach, the Rambam is not even fundamentally disagreeing with the Ramban and the Rashba. He's just saying that in one regard, this ribis is like ribis kitsutsa. And Reb Kiva Eger, in his Drush Vechidish on Bab Metziah Samachalaf Amit Aleph, also develops this approach and he explains why this avak ribis should be different than other avak ribis because he explains that once the Rabbanan say that in this case there is a problem of ribis, even though ordinary there's no shlichus for a non-Jew. So this non-Jew is not functioning on behalf of the Jewish lender. So there should be no problem. That's why it's avak ribis and not full ribis. But once the Rabbanan Institute that there is a concern of ribis in this case, so we are stringent, so now it has all the full halachas of ribis. So that's why the borrower can get the interest money back in court. So those are some of the more technical ways to read this Rambam. And again, Rab Chaim is proposing a totally different approach to the whole issue that there is another problem out of left field having nothing to do with whether the non-Jew is the Jew's messenger because the Jewish lender is either a guarantor or based on the principle of Eved Kenani. So Rab Chaim's reading this Rambam in a totally new way. Now, the Chasam Sofer in a tshuva in Arachaim Simon Pei Dalid, so he also discusses this Rambam and the questioner wanted to say that according to the Rambam, there is shlichus for a non-Jew lechumrah. Meaning if a Jew appoints a non-Jew as a messenger, that does work even midoraisa lechumrah. So, so long as it's for a stringency, that does work. But if it's for a leniency, that's when the Torah said that a non-Jew cannot be a messenger. So that would explain why the Rambam holds that there's a doraisa problem of ribis in this case, because since it's a stringency, so even midoraisa, the non-Jew can be a messenger. Now, this is a very important issue because it ties in with a famous discussion the Chassam Sofer has about Amir al-Nachri. If a Jew asks a non-Jew to do something prohibited on Shabbos, so can we say that that's prohibited because the non-Jew is the Jew's messenger? So that's the issue the Chassam Sofer raises, but the Chassam Sofer totally dismisses this whole approach. He says it cannot be that the Rambam holds that a non-Jew is a shliach lechumra, and he repeats his father-in-law, Reb Kiva Eger's approach, that the Rambam agrees it's not full ribis, it's really only drabanan ribis, the Rambam just means that the borrower can get the money back in court. So the Chasim Sofer argues very clearly that according to the Rambam, we do not say that there is shlichus for a non-Jew, midoraisa lechumra, and Rab Chaim also agrees with that, because at the end of formulating the question, he writes that midoraisa, there's no difference between a lenient or a stringency, so that's like the Chasim Sofer, that don't suggest that there is shlichus l'chumra mida oraisa.
Now, Reb Isser Zalman, who studied by Rab Chaim in Valozhin when he was much younger, so in the Evan Ha'azel, he also discusses this Rambam at some length, and most of his discussion is along the lines of the Lecha Mishnah and the Arsameach, that maybe the second Jew is becoming a Shliach of the first Jew by taking the money from the non-Jew. So he mostly is touching on those issues, but he does touch a little bit without quoting Rab Chaim's piece on this issue of whether the lender turns into a guarantor. So it's interesting to see how he gets a little bit in that direction on his own.